That's a uh, really cool video, isn't it? Um, you know, at first, it, you kind of think, I can't believe this. this looks like a very sophisticated, wealthy woman. Of course, she wouldn't be stealing things. But actually, she does fit a profile for that. It's not always what you think when it comes to money. But oh, let me ask you this. We're in church. I, I understand, and I, I understand that you know you got to answer uh, church style. But So just answer inside, and that way we can all be honest. Here's the question. Thinking through your financial situation, thinking through your life, how much more do you need in order to get where you need to be? Um, a lot doesn't work. Okay, come up with some sort of number. How much more do you need to uh, get underneath the, out from underneath the pressure to do what you need to do, accomplish what you need to be? Be happy. How much more do you need? You know, it's fascinating. There are studies on this. And generally speaking, we all answer the same, irregardless of what you make, whether you make 30,000 or 50,000 or 250,000 or a million. It seems that everybody needs about 10 percent more. If I had about 10% more, then I would be able to get through with my life and get to a place where I'd be pressure less and I would uh, enjoy life more. I would be more happy. Now, um, what's the name of the, the school? It was Loyola Marymount. It was fascinating. They did this study. They followed the people. And then when the folk years, as they got raises, they got that 10%. Do you think, what do you think they said at that point? They got that 10%. Now the question, how much more do you need? What do you think they said? 10%. I still need 10%. And they kept going at, at infinitum. People would continue wherever they were in the scale. It was always, I need about 10% more. So much so that a, a British psychoanalyst looked at the study and he said this. He said, by its very nature, greed is endless and never assuaged. And by being a form of the impulse to live, it ceases only with death. A greed is part, it's, it's, it's academic now. Greed is part of what it means to be alive. It's what it is. We can't get rid of it. It is only going to go away when we die. Maybe that's why we are called to greener grass, right? And we always seek affluence uh, in an easier life. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, we, if we had a easier life and a bigger house and a, a, a newer car, we would be happy. Um, by that type of thinking, it would seem that the happiest place in the world, at least one of them, would not be Disney. It would be the United States of America because gross national product, GDP, um, per capita, we are one of the top countries in the world. Um, with that, of course, comes great opportunity for uh, affluence and for home ownership and for car ownership and for medical care and for education. Uh, certainly, with that would come happiness. But yet, 2012 Gallup poll, happiness scale, the United States fell 33rd of all the nations in the world. Uh, money, it seems, does not buy you happiness. And it's a fascinating. If you, if you look at the countries that make it to the top, seven of the ten top countries are Latin American countries. Um, Guatemala, good old war-torn 
Guatemala that finishes just above Iraq in the United Nations Human Development Index is number seven with happiness. Panama, 90th in the the list of of countries where their gross uh, GDP, gross uh, um, GDP per capita, uh, they're 90th in the country. So not necessarily a real rich country. That's the top place for happiness. If you were to, to evaluate or talk to survey the Panamanians, they would say, generally speaking, I am pleased with life. I am happy with life. It's, it's good. I'm content. Meanwhile, Singapore, number five on the list for uh, wealthiest countries in the world. Singapore, bottom of the list of people who are give positive comments about life, who are happy with life. Now, here's a goofy thing. We hear this and we go, yeah, well, I guess this is true. But yet we all still are chasing that that wealth thing. We, we know it's, it's like flypaper, you know, we're flies. We know it's probably going to hurt us. We know, but still there's just something that draws us in to this. We, we can't get a, a, away from it. I wonder if that's why Jesus 30 or 16 of his 38 parables talk about greed. Number one thing that Jesus warns his followers about us. Number one thing, not discouragement, not Satan. Number one thing is greed. He warns us about. You know, it's fascinating. Jesus was on a teaching tour one time. And uh, Texas, thousands of people were there. So I mean, this is not like a small group Bible study. It's just a huge thing, right? And somebody crashes his teaching with a question about money. And that catapults Jesus into probably one of the most lucid teachings, I think, in the New Testament on this subject of, of greed. And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're going to see what this is all about, understand what it is, and how can we overcome this. So Luke chapter 12. And let me just read this for you. I'm not going to have all the words on the screen initially. So if you don't have your Bible or your device to to read along, just kind of listen. Luke chapter 12, I'm beginning in verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man... Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I'm skipping over to 32. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is going on Jesus. Uh, after this, this conversation breaks, he looks at his uh, apostles and he says, uh, it's fascinating, he says, be on your guard. Against all covetousness. Uh, guard against greed. That's what he says. Now, how do we guard against greed? I think the first thing we do, according to the text, is we got to realize we have a money problem. You might say, well, I didn't need to come to church to hear that, man. I know, I got a money. Doing the books last night, we have got a money problem. Money problem may be different, though, than the money problem you think you've got. Verse 13 Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to a man who made me judge arbitrator over you. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This man thought he had a money issue of a different color that Jesus thought he had. Uh, the way the inheritance thing worked back then, when the dad died, the oldest son got twice the deal. I think that's a good plan. We should probably still keep that, but we don't. But then they take the rest of it and divide it among the other siblings. Um, now, he gets twice as much, but he does have a lot of responsibility that comes with that. He becomes the executor of, of the will, basically, as well. And we've got a... a Project a little bit here, but it, it makes sense uh, that this is probably the younger brother coming to Jesus. Dad died. Older brother is kind of uh, divvying it out. Perhaps, you know, didn't have a whole lot of liquid assets. They had the family stead, you know, the big farm and the John Deere tractors and the herds. And they had all that stuff. And the, the younger brother probably wants them to liquidate, sell all this stuff so we can divvy the money. And I get my piece. And the older brother is like, I don't want to get this. has been the family forever. And, and so whatever the specific situation, the guy comes to Jesus and he says, um, uh, Jesus, tell my brother to, to give me my share. I don't want... Anything that's not mine. I'm not trying to rip anybody off here. You see, this is a, maybe this guy's got a point. I, I just want what I'm entitled to. I, I want my fair share. I want my peace. I want. And Jesus uh, says, there's an issue going on. You've got a money problem, but it's not what you think. Greed is the issue, right? And I can see the, the younger brother saying, whoa, 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 no, 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 you got it wrong, Jesus. See, I'm not the greedy one. My brother's the greedy one. See, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I just want my, and he's, he's hoarding. See, he's not giving me my peace. Greed is an easy thing to see in other people, right? But it's difficult to see in ourselves. You don't see this in the mirror. Uh, greed. Zogby did a, 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 uh, Huge landmark poll recently where they said, what is the number one problem in America? Huge poll came back. Number one problem is greed and materialism. Number two, just under it, is poverty and and, uh, social injustice. But number one problem, greed, materialism. Vanity Fair 2014 did a survey uh, as well where almost 80% of Americans said they detested Greed, you know, greed made them sick. That way they didn't embrace greed. That was an awful, awful thing. 
the Economist did a, a survey as well, where they, they gave out the seven deadly sins, and they said, you rate them for us. Which one is the deadliest? And guess which one came to the top? Greed, 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 greed. Everyone's in agreement. Greed is a terrible, awful thing, right? However, this is, this is the funny part. Nobody thinks they've got it. I mean, greed is out there, but nobody is claiming it. BBC did a survey, a British broadcasting company, and, and they gave the seven deadly sins as well, and they asked two questions. Which of these have you ever committed? Second question, which have you committed in the last last month? Guess which sin came at the very bottom? I mean, the Brits have no problem in saying, I, I'm, I'm lazy, and I'm lost once in a while, and maybe prideful. But I'm not greedy. Greed sits the bottom. Nobody sees greed. And, and here's, here's, here's our issue. If we don't see that this could be an issue with us, will we seek a solution? No, we're not. Here's, here's the problem with this. Because saving, like this guy did, is that a bad thing to save? Well, no. It's a biblical thing to save, right? And is, is it a bad thing to prepare for retirement? This guy was preparing for retirement. No, it's a good thing to prepare for retirement. Matter of fact, I think Proverbs has some things to say, but that's right. Problem is, you take this thing that's righteous and good and biblical, and it doesn't take long for it to move off center just a little bit and suddenly become a wicked and evil and hoarding. And I put my trust in. And this is going to be my security. And this is how I find my importance. And this is how I find my independence from God even. So this thing that was good and right doesn't take much to move to be evil and wrong. That's why we just don't see it. When your kids are, are little, you know, after no, that's their first word. We got it. No. Next Set of words they say, right? Me, my, my. And you say, your spouse, how come you taught them such awful words? Me, my, my. Well, maybe your spouse didn't teach them the words. Maybe what happened is when the kid learned to speak, just gave vocabulary to what was going on in their heart. Me, my, my. You know, that's a great definition of greed. Me, my, mine. And the first thing I think that we have to get to is to say, you know what? I could perhaps have a problem here. We don't have to say that out loud, but let me ask you, how many, how many people in here? Can we raise your hand and say, I give away absolutely all I could possibly give away. I could not possibly give away more. How many of us say, you know what, there's no way I could simplify my lifestyle more than what I do for his kingdom. There's no way. How many of us can say that? This, this is an issue. This is first step is to see that this is my issue. It's not yours. This is, this is mine. Uh, to be aware, guard against greed. First thing, you got to recognize what's in your own heart. Second thing is, is recognizing the fruit of greed. First thing greed does, according to our text, it seems to destroy your relationship with God. This is really, really, really huge. We see this, verse 13, a guy comes in, uh, uh, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What we don't notice is those first 12 verses, Jesus is 
in his zone. You know, Jesus is teaching. Jesus is getting round up. Jesus is talking about great, huge things here. He's talking about how to please God. He's talking about two, two kingdoms and how you should be a part of the kingdom of God. He's talking about values. He's talking about how to walk close. He's talking about intimacy with God the Father. But this guy doesn't hear it. He's, he's maybe sitting in the front row. And he's waiting for Jesus to get done so he can ask a question. And Jesus just droning on and on, you know, you know, preacher droning on and on. And would he just hurry up for crying out loud? And finally, the guy's had enough and he stands up. Jesus, I got to ask you a question. And he brings up this question about material stuff. And he misses all of what Jesus was saying about kingdom life. I just wonder for myself, how many times I perhaps have gone to... uh, spend time in God's word or come to listen. And I don't really hear what Jesus is trying to tell me. Maybe he's really trying to tell me something substantial, something significant, something radically life-changing. And you know what? I don't hear it because I'm too wrapped up with my thing. With my, my, my issue, how I'm not being treated fair and how I need some, 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 some justice here. And, and, Greed does that. It destroys our relationship with God. Things he has for us. Greed keeps us from hearing it. Greed distorts our view of who God is. I mean, look at this. This guy comes. Can you imagine coming to Jesus like this? He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's demanding Jesus not even Jesus, Jesus, listen, could, could you please think about talking to my brother because he's a jerk. And he doesn't say, Jesus, listen, there's this thing going on. Let me, let me pour this out to you. And you kind of give me your wisdom because I'm not sure what to do here. He's demanding Jesus to do certain things. He wants Jesus on his agenda, right? We don't do that with our prayers, of course, though, right? We don't, we don't go to him. Saying, yeah, yeah, no, I listen, here's what I need. I, I got it figured out. I don't need your counsel. You need to do A, B, and C. That's what needs to happen. Go make that happen, please. Um, that kind of reflects our prayer s- stuff sometimes. And that's why Jesus, in, in verse 14, he said, man... Now, that's not a term of endearment. It's like, listen, you know, you knucklehead, you know, uh, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? He's saying, you don't understand why I've come, do you? You're getting close to me and you come to church and you think you want but you don't understand. I did not come to help you line your pockets. I came to to, to fill your heart. I did not come to help you be a, a taker, but a giver. You don't understand what I'm here for at all, do you? Greed distorts. We come to church and hang out with Jesus. It distorts our perspective, though, on who he is. And that's going to give our, we're going to be disappointed with him often and frustrated with the Christian life often and find it mundane and boring and irrelevant, uh, pained and burdened often. And when that happens... Uh, maybe the culprit is, 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 is greed. It destroys our, greed always destroys our relationship with God. Something else right here, I think greed damages our relationships with family. Again, verse 13 says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I, I'm just guessing, I don't know, who knows. Maybe the brothers had a close relationship before dad died. Even now they don't. But I know this. I've seen enough funerals 
where, where when the last parent dies, uh, this doesn't happen all the time, praise God, but it can be a very tense issue among the siblings, not grieving over my parents' death as much as grieving over the fact that I'm not going to get that arnoir because Susie claimed it, and how dare, and I gave that, and he said, and Mom thought I should have this one, and this piece of jewelry belonged to Green Grandma is actually mine, and who gets the most, and there's just fighting, and there's nothing like inheritance, right, to, to divide, some of you all know what I'm talking about, to divide family, to destroy family. Um, one of the key uh, pictures on this of how... Uh, our greed can destroy families. This is a story of Achan. You remember this? In Joshua chapter 6, they're going to uh, take on Jericho. Remember, they, they just got out of Egypt. They wandered around the desert for 40 years, the Israelites, and they're, they're in attack mode. They're getting ready to do some major assault, take on the, the Holy Land, conquer it, and the very first city they come up to is Jericho. And this is the one, you know, they have to walk around the walls once a day for seven days, seventh day, walk around seven times, and they all fall down, and people go in and get everything. But but God gives them a a, a, uh, a directive here that he's not going to give them for any of the other cities. And he says this in, in 617. He says, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. He says, says All the other cities when we conquer. You guys can plunder, and that's how you're going to be able to feed your families, and that's how you're going to be able to clothe everybody, and I got that. But not this first one. This first one, everything in it is going to be dedicated to me. So the people are, yep, okay, got it, we got it, we got it. So they go through, and they wipe out Jericho. It happens just like, and the people are excited. It's kind of like taking out Cleveland. You know, it's just a big city, and they just conquered it, and Israel wiped out this huge city, and they are just pumped. Well, next on the, on the map... Go down the road, it's this itty-bitty town called Ai. looks like McCain, you know? They're going, ha, ha, we just knocked out Cleveland, and now we come to McCain, you know, best place in town is a bar for crying out loud. Of course we're going to be able to knock this out. And so they said, Joshua, let the army have a day off. They need to rest. They need to rest. We'll just take a couple thousand. We're going to wipe these guys out, but we'll be right back before lunchtime. And Joshua says, sounds like a plan. Go for it. So they go, and you know this story. The guys from Ai are waiting for them. And, and the guys from, from Ai have planned it, and they come out, and they, they rout Israel, end up killing 36 of, of Israel's warriors as Israel runs in defeat. And they, the Israel guys run back into camp, and they're crying, and, you know, and Harry and Jack and Tom have been killed, and I don't understand. And, and Joshua's going, what's going on? What's the problem? Joshua has this spiritual meltdown. He probably should, and he does. He says, then Joshua tore his clothes and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He was there for a while, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth and what will you do for your great name? So he's crying and crying and and then God responds to him. Lord responds. Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? You know, there's a time not to pray. You know, God's saying, quit praying. It's not time to pray right now, Joshua, because Israel has sinned. 
They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. And so they go through this this process to figure out, okay, who did this? Achan, guy by the name of Achan, he, he comes up with the short end of the stick here. And sure enough, Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar. Remember, these guys did not have Amazon. They did not have malls. You know, with the clothing, where do you find? Everyone's wearing burlap. All of a sudden, he goes and sees his great robe from Babylon in there. And it just happens to be his size. And it fits. It's looking pretty nice. And 200 shekels of silver. And a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So judgment is passed. And look what judgment is. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold with his sons and daughters and with all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They buried, they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Sure looks to me like Achan's sons and daughters were killed as well. And you go, man, this is a tough passage. That's not very fair. I mean, the kids didn't do anything wrong. It was the dad who did it. Let's think for a minute. Because Achan sinned, 36 warriors from Israel were killed. They didn't do anything wrong. But they were killed because of Achan's sin. And then 36 women had to be told, by the way, your husband's not coming back. And then uh, 100... To 200 kids had to be told, you'll never see your daddy again. And in a land where there's not a whole lot of social uh, programming going on, this, this wife and kids, 36 times, are now into a very difficult, destitute, hard, hard situation. They didn't do anything. It was Aiken's issue. I had a friend, I was... Uh, six years old. Okay, this is 50 years ago. Six years old. Uh, I remember it so well. His name was Pierre. Pierre was uh, eight. He's a little bit older than I was. Pierre's parents, French immigrants. Uh, I don't even know if they knew any English. I never heard it in their, their home. But P- this is 60s, right? So Pierre, no internet. Pierre's dad collected girly magazines. I'm six and I remember Pierre and myself sneaking into his parents' room when they're not there to look at the girly magazines. I'm six, right? My secondary sex characteristics had not kicked in at six. But I remember this so well, 50 years ago. Dads, what you do is going to impact your kids. It just is. It just is. You cannot not let that be. Uh, my good or bad. My my dad uh, smoked uh, substantially. Hence, matches were all over the place in my home. Easy for me to get. 
And I was a little arsonist. I, I uh, had the Chicago Fire Department called out at least twice. I almost, caught our, almost blew up our house, but I did catch on fire a truck, a whole trucking thing one time. Um, what we do, dads, will influence our kids. And let me tell you, you are discipling your children. If they're home, you are discipling them right now with, towards greed, or towards generosity, contentment. You are discipling them money of this world, being rich towards this world, or being rich towards God. You are, not by what you say, but you can't hide your values. Your kids are too smart for that. Did you know 1980, Madison Avenue spent $100 million annually on advertising to children? 24 years later, 2004, Madison Avenue spends $15 billion a year advertising for children. This is a little bit more than inflation. Uh, You've got to know Madison Avenue's goal for your children, and they've hired some very sharp people to get there, is to help your kids become uh, greedy mongers. To, to, they're going to pour the, the gasoline on the fire to acquire. They want your kids to know that their life does consist it does consist of what they have, and if they don't have it, they are, are losing. That's their goal. You've you got to know that the world is, is set on discipling your child. And so what are you going to do to counter it, or are you going to enforce that? You, you, who you are does, 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 does disciple your child. They cannot not greed destroys our relationship with God. It damages our family. It damages all relationships. It, it Just the way God wired it. I don't think Jesus said, beware of this, just because he wanted us to beware of it. It just destroys. Uh, this, this how to guard from greed. You, you recognize that I got a problem. You recognize its fruit destroys my relationship with God and others. And you recognize its foolishness. And that's what Jesus goes on in verse 16. He says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. It's not a bad plan. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. You notice that, that Jesus does not critique this guy for having wealth. It's not bad to have wealth. Uh, ultimately, I think that Jesus is not going to clobber this guy because of his uh, plan to uh, build barns. Uh, Jesus is not getting down on this guy for how he acquired his wealth. It I'm just, yeah, it doesn't look like the guy put up casinos on his land or that he's got a Ponzi scheme going on or that he was gr- growing pot on his land or that he was uh, doing something illegal. It doesn't look like here anyway that he was treating his employees Badly, and he was mean to them. There are there are stories out. Jesus talks about where that happens. Not here. For all we know, this is a good guy, and he's doing good things, isn't he? Saving. I mean, there's nothing wrong with saving. I mean, this he's, he's honest, hardworking guy. He planned for his future. He planned for his retirement. He planned for the next thirty years. Problem is, he didn't plan for the next thirty million years, right? Just. just and that's why he says, I said to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Time, <laughs> retirement, man. And that's why you, you think guy did well, but verse 20, that's why it's a little bit strange of a verse. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. 
And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Then he says to his disciples, us, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 19, I think I said the date wrong last hour. It's 1922, I believe, King Tut's tomb was discovered. King Tut's, his riches, amazing stuff. These are things that, that Tut wanted to bring uh, with him to the afterlife. So you got six chariots in his tomb, two thrones. Wasn't sure which throne he wanted to sit on in the afterlife. Brought two thrones. He's got furniture. He's got tables and chairs and chests and fine clothing and, and, and food and wine. He's got instruments, musical instruments, and he's got um, games in there and weapons in there. Everything you can want for, for, for the afterlife. Now, I don't know where Tut ended up. I got my guesses here, but I, I don't know. But I do know where his stuff ended up. It didn't go with him. His stuff is in the Cairo Museum. And so, so what you plan for is not going to go with you. I think that's what Jesus is, is saying here. You know, uh, Randy Elkhorn's book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Excellent, excellent book, by the way. He, he uh, gives an incredible illustration. He says, assume, pretend that you are a northerner who lives in the South at the end of the Civil War. Got that? Northerner lives in the South at the end of the Civil War. And you have acquired a boatload of Southern Confederacy currency, right? You, you got it. But you know the war is getting ready to end. And you know the North is going to win. And you know when they do, all of your Confederate currency is useless. So what should you do? What's the wise thing to do? He says, well, you take out a little bit, as much as you're going to need to keep living while you're there in the South, and then you exchange as much as you can, right, for northern currency. You exchange that out. And then, then El- Elkhorn says this. Next slide. He says, as believers, we have inside knowledge of a coming change in the worldwide economic situation. The currency of this world will be worthless at our death or Christ's return, both of which are imminent. This knowledge should radically affect our investment strategy. For us to accumulate vast treasures in the face of the inevitable future is equivalent to stockpiling Confederate money. It's not just wrong, it's stupid. It's a stupid thing. You know, Jim Elliott, when he was at Wheaton College, remember his goal was to be missionary. Uh, his thought was he was going into uh, Ecuador. He was, was eyeing some tribes, very violent tribes. And the word he got was, Jim, why are you doing it? Let someone else do that. You're a very intelligent guy. There's so many other things you can do. You can help out this way. And then, I don't know if you've ever been to the Billy Graham Museum. You can see Jim Elliott's journals where he wrote this. And he wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And he went to Ecuador. You know the story. He was murdered by the AUKUS. Uh, their first encounter. Ultimately, his wife and the other wives came in and major revival led the tribe to the, the Lord. But he was someone as, why should I stockpile Confederate currency? This, this, when I die, it's all going to be done here. I'm vesting in, in eternity. Verse 32. 
Jesus says, fear not, little flock. He knows, talking about money, this is kind of scary. This is, he knows it. He says, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you want to know where your heart is, you know, this really eradicates any wannabe stuff. I mean, this is just... Gets right down to it. You want to know where your heart is? Where's your treasure? Look at your credit card statements. Where's all your treasure going? That's where your heart is. Check out your bank statement. Where's all your treasure going? That's where your heart is. If you still use a checkbook, look at your checkbook. Uh, where's all your treasure going? That tells you where your heart is. See, money goes first, heart follows. Money leads, heart follows. So when people say, man, I just, I would wish that I had a burden for missions. I see some people with a burden for foreign missions. I just wish I had a burden for missions. Easy enough. Do your research. Figure it out. And then sacrificially invest in foreign missions. And you know what? Your heart will follow your money. You, you say, you know, I, I, I wish I, I had a greater burden for social justice. I mean, I see things on TV and it's like, oh, I just wish I had a greater burden. Easy enough. Do your research. Then invest sacrificially in that ministry. Carl Ralston, remember news, can be here in a couple of weeks as well. And, and you'll find that your heart follows your money. Jesus is just stating a principle here that is, that is straight up too. You say, well, I, I want to love what Jesus loves. I want to maybe love his bride, the, 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 the church. Easy enough. What's your investment strategy for the church? Because your heart will follow your, your treasure. Easy enough. It, it's, it's, it's as if you're on an airplane. You've got this long plane ride ahead of you. It's a long plane ride. And the guy in front of you, though, he starts putting curtains up on the window of the plane. And he starts hanging pictures up on the seats in front of him and, and putting pictures up. And you want to go, whoa, buddy, it's not going to be that long of a flight, for grand out loud. You know what? The goal is, is not the, the flight. The goal is the destination. Just hang tight. We are in the flight. And, and, and when, we're, when we land, we are done with this life. It's like your, your life is, a, is a, a, a dot. It's a big dot, right? Your life is like a big dot, right? And, and, and we, we live and we start a, and, we, and we end, we die. And it's like all of everything is all about that dot. Actually, though, it's probably not as big as we think it is. It's probably just a little bit smaller, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, our life's probably not as big as we think it is. It's going to be over a lot quicker than we think it is. But everything that we do, everything that we're about, is for that little dot. Meanwhile, eternity is like an arrow. And it goes on forever. Doesn't it make sense? That's all Jesus is saying with this. It just makes sense that you don't invest everything in that dot. It's going to be done when you can invest in eternity. You can can leave it all here, like Tot did, or you can send it ahead. And and, and, and have riches in heaven be rich to God. So how do you do this? 
How do you, how do you guard against greed? We talked about, okay, I might have an issue. Okay, I'll get granted that. And we recognize that. We, we recognize that, uh, greed's fruit, that, that, uh, greed will destroy my relationship with God. It will destroy my relationship with others. Not could, it will. We realize greed's foolishness. And so let me give you some practical things. Maybe these will be, maybe some, one of these will click with you. Maybe none of them will. That's, that's okay. First thing. Slide. Is increase your life's simplicity. Is there something that you can cut out or something you can scale back on? I'm not going to get through a whole big bunch of lists here, but just think for a minute. Am I spending in places that not saving it so I can stockpile more in my 401k, so I can send it ahead, so I can invest it in, in kingdom? Um, whether it's cable or my uh, Starbucks coffee thing. Am, do I always have to have the designer dog or the designer everything? And I just always has to have the label. Mightn't something a little bit less? Is there something that you need to scale back on? Something that you need to cut back on? Something that you need to cut out completely? Number two. Increase your generosity quotient. Now, what I, I mean by that, let me ask you this question. In your budget, do you have a generosity line anywhere? A giving line? Something that you're going to not put in your barns and not put for, for you enough to re- re- drink and be merry and relax, but you're going to invest, be rich towards God. Do you have, let me encourage you, if you don't have anything, to not wait to 2019. Oh, yeah, I'll do that next year. No, no, no. We're early enough. You can build that into your budget for this year, uh, giving to be rich towards God. You say, well, how much should I give? Bible, no, I don't want to scare anybody. Bible gives out uh, a baseline 10%. You might say, whoa, I'm done. Time to verse to be done. Say amen. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. Um, you can start with whatever. Pick a number. Pick a number. You haven't given it to 2%. That's fine. Uh, and and move, move, start moving that route. We need to start the walk. Let me challenge you with this. Maybe you do have it in your budget, and you give 3% right now. How about push it to 5%? If you say you, you give, you tithe right now on net, how about push your tithe to gross? How about this? How about you tithe on gross? How about 11%? Again, again, if, if this is not about FAC, just so you know, if you, if you question, don't, that's all right, go out. Jesus' goal here, Jesus is not asking anyone for money. He just knows what controls us. He knows what's going to destroy our relationship with God, and he wants that broken. So that's fine. Go, go out with that. Um, how about this? Number three. Let your generosity be consistent, not erratic. Most of us give, we see the story, some child who's hurt, and we, oh, my heart, we give to that. And then we'll be fine for a few weeks, and well, something else will happen, and oh, we'll give to that maybe a little bit. But our giving is pretty emotional. It's not necessarily logical. It's driven by our heart, not by our values. And so all this is saying is let it be driven by your values. Luke 12, I'm setting up riches for my God. And here's a way you can do this. FAC, if you want to go FAC, you get online to our webpage or our app, and you set up your giving, and you hit this button, recurring. 
That one's a little bit scary, isn't it? Recurring. Every week, every month, it's going to do this. But we can let our automation help us in our dedication, help us get where we really want to be. Um, Fourth thing, let me mention this. Next slide. Seek a kingdom sensitivity. And this is what I, what I, I mean by that. I believe there are people in our lives, God has placed in our lives right now, who perhaps he's given us as a test, who are in need. Now they haven't advertised it. But if you're sensitive, if you're thinking, so-and-so had this happen, and this happened, and this happened, I wonder how they're doing financially. I wonder if I can help in some way. This, this past week, two different people, this past week, two different people I talked with who saw something here at the church that they want to fix. And they think, you know what, we really need to work on that, don't you, don't you think? And they put their money where their mouth is. Now, let me just throw this by you. Let's just say that you're thinking, you're seeing something, or maybe you just got a, uh, uh, a bonus or your tax refund, or so, and you're saying, well, maybe I should help out, but I'm not sure what, what they need. Call Herb Gilroy, okay? Because Herb, this is, Herb is our executive director of operations, so he knows this physical plant inside and out. Herb knows the ministries. He knows what we want to do, what we don't want to do, what we can't do because we don't have finances. He understands the whole picture. And if you were to call him and say, what are the specific needs going on right now? He'd be happy to explain them to you. And maybe you'd say, none of those hit my heart. All right, good, good, good. On the other hand, there may be something. To live our life with a kingdom sensitivity, I think, helps us guard Against greed. And we do all this, remembering this. And this is, uh, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything he's not willing to do. Second Corinthians. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He knows kingdom One day, streets are made out of gold. That's how useless uh, world's currency is in heaven. But that's where he's going back to. So definitely no fighting for filling the barns here. Uh, As we wrestle, and it's a wrestling match, as we wrestle with with greed in our, our hearts, I think seeking to be wise to what Christ has called us to guard against greed, we can knock that monster out, have it not be as deadly to our relationship with God or our families, our, our other relationships as it could be. Would you pray with me? God, it's so good to be here because your son realized and knew and was willing to give up the riches of heaven for us. And you give us so many things, and some I wonder how much of it are tests that we just hang on to and stockpile and stick in the back room somewhere for us at a rainy day, not trusting you. And I pray, Lord, that we would be good stewards, that we would, that we would save as we're supposed to, that we'd be faithful with what you've given us. But God, would you help us to not cross that line 
for, 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 for us, for a church, would we be people who are not dominated by greed? That's not named among us as we raise our, our kids. Generosity and contentment is that which is passed on. I would pray, Lord, that that would be so, that we might know you more fully, that we might hear what you have for us, that our relationships here on earth would be what they ought to be, that our impact for your kingdom would be what it ought to be. I would ask that that would be so, Lord. And even as we take up this this offering now, again, we know that you don't need anything from us. And I pray, God, that as we do give a portion that you'd use it to get the message to uh, Erie, to the people in our church, to our kids across the world that life does not consist in the abundance of things you own. There's something so much greater to live for than stuff that's going to end up on the top of a junk pile one day. Lord, would you use it that way, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.